you know, we're coming to the end of our expository series here in Galatians. Um, has anyone enjoyed this series so far? Yeah. Everyone, everyone been blessed by it? Yes. Great, well, we're at the very end, the very last one. So if you haven't enjoyed it, take heart. This is it. <laughs> we're there. But um, let's read the passage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get going. So today's passage, Galatians chapter 6, the very last page uh, from verse 11 all the way until the end. Let's read it together. It says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason that they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you would illuminate your word in our hearts, God, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place so that we do not hear the voice and the words of a man. Lord, that is the last thing that anybody in this place needs. But Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your words to us. We want to see your Holy Spirit reveal Jesus Christ to us. And as Lord, you become more beautiful, more majestic, more awesome in our sight, God, I pray, Lord, that you would transform us from the inside out to be the kind of disciples and lovers of Jesus that you have called us to be. So Lord, would you come into this place, prepare our hearts, Lord, so that we are ready to receive from you. Open our eyes, open our ears. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Hey, has anyone, um, I know it's a little bit early, but has anyone received a Christmas card yet? Yeah, a couple of people? Hey, when you receive a Christmas card, what is the first thing that you do when you open it? What do you look for? I'm getting like a muddle of different answers, so maybe let me just put some things out there. Okay, my guess, my guess is that when you open up a Christmas card, the first thing that you look for is you look for the handwritten message from the sender, correct? Right, uh, no one really cares about um, season's greetings or uh, you know, Merry Christmas and many happy returns. Uh, but they usually look for uh, the handwritten part, the part that uh, is personal from the letter, uh, from, from the sender. And um, that is the part which ha has the most personal touch, right? It is the part which we look forward to because it's personalized to us. It's written directly to us. It, it bears uh, extra weight because the author painstakingly took the time to write out their heartfelt intentions. Hopefully, hopefully. Well, this is the, this is, the handwritten message for the book of Galatians. You see, uh, the most important part, the weightiest part, the, uh, the part that carries extra weight because it was personally handwritten by the Apostle Paul is this part of Galatians. Verse 11, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. You know, Paul's custom uh, in, in the age, in that time, when he was writing letters to the different churches, was that he would dictate most of his letters to a secretary, someone who would write down uh, everything that he was uh, speaking out verbatim. But at the end of his letter, uh, the, there would be a short portion where he would write out something 
uh, in his own hand, in his own handwriting, it was like his sign off uh, to authenticate the letter, to say, to show that it was from him, first and foremost, but also to add any other greetings onto the end, anything, any other extra personal touches. And so it's one of the most important parts of the letter, all right? It's an, it carries an extra weight because it was personally handwritten by the Apostle Paul himself. So let's look at what Paul writes. From verse 12, he says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason that they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. And then he goes on to say that not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but yet they want you to be circumcised that, so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. You know, so far in the book of Galatians, we've been talking about circumcision, the law, grace, the gospel, uh, that we are not uh, justified by our works, by what we do, but we are justified by the gospel of grace and what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, amen? And we're not gonna rehash that too much today, but in this passage, in this passage, Paul goes one step deeper and he reveals the underlying motives behind the group that is calling for circumcision. They're not just saying we're keeping to the law because they are law-abiding citizens or because they are super passionate and zealous for the law of God uh, because it brings about righteousness. But what does he say? He says that their motives were rooted in the fear of being persecuted and because that they wanted to impress people, right? Two motivations. First of all, that they wanted to impress people. They wanted to show that they were influential enough to convince the Galatian church to be circumcised that they were faithful to the old Jewish ways of circumcision and doing things, and that they had the power to still propagate and to uh, influence others with their views. That's the first thing that they wanted to do. That was their first motivation. They wanted to impress people. Their second uh, motivation was that they wanted to avoid persecution for the cross. Because to them, you have to understand, in that day and age, uh, to the Jews, the cross was an offense. It wasn't something that was welcome. Why? Why? Because the cross welcomed every single person into the people of God. As long as you believed in the work of Jesus Christ, as long as you put your faith in Him and you put your faith in what He did at Calvary, you were welcomed into the people of God. There was no other requirements. You didn't need to be circumcised. You didn't need to follow the feasts. You didn't need to keep the laws. As long as you believed in Jesus Christ, that was the fundamental anchor of being a Christian. And so the cross was an offense because for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jews had identified themselves as God's people, right? And what, the, what had identified them was they're keeping the, the feasts, they're keeping the laws, they're being circumcised. That was what made them a holy people, a special people unto God. And so to the Jews, this new news that the cross opens it up to all people was an offense. It's like, how can you just disregard hundreds of years of how we have lived before our God and suddenly say that all people are now welcome into the kingdom? The cross was an offense. And so by propagating this idea that all believers had to be circumcised, they were trying to wheel people back into the old ways, but they were also trying to avoid being persecuted. Because to the Jews around them, it's okay to believe in Jesus Christ, as long as you continue to follow the old ways. And so they wanted to avoid that. They wanted to avoid persecution and they wanted to impress people. Now compare this, compare this to what Paul was motivated by. And he talks about that in the next verse, verse 14. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I 
to the world. That is a huge, a, a, a massive monumental statement and we're gonna spend a little bit of time to unpack that. Paul's posture was to boast only in the cross, to boast only in the cross. You see, Paul wasn't interested in making a name for himself. He wasn't worried about impressing people. He wasn't worried about whether the people around him would like him for his views or not. All he cared about was boasting in the cross. And what Paul realized is what every believer in this place, church, we have to understand today. We have to be convicted that it is the cross of Christ and only the cross that makes us right before a holy God. You and I don't earn special brownie points with God just because we come to church on time. We have nothing to boast about even if we try our best to be good people. Even if we serve, even if we donate, even if we're generous, even if we're kind, those things mean nothing. There is nothing to boast about in them. It is only because of the cross that we can boast. Church, are we convicted of that? Because oftentimes, oftentimes that is the message that we hear, but the message that we live is one where we boast about our achievements. We look at how much we give, how committed we are, how much we attend, what we do, and we start to take pride in those things. But Paul is grounding us back. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, even the best Christian is morally and spiritually bankrupt except for the grace of God purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Can anyone say amen? And listen to what Paul says. He says, because of the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is a slight tweak from what he's mentioned before. You, pr you would probably would have recalled Galatians chapter two where he says, I have, been, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live, in the body, I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But now Paul is not just talking about how he has been crucified, how his old nature, his self, his old self, his flesh, his sinful nature has been crucified. But now in verse 14, he says this, the world has been crucified to me and I crucified to the world. Paul is making a big, bold statement. What he's saying is this, now catch this. He's saying that the world and its concerns are now dead to him. They hold no influence over him. The world and its cares, its concerns are dead to him. You know, for every true disciple of Christ, this is meant to be <laughs> what we live by. The world and its cares are dead to us and we are dead to the world. It is a statement of extreme priority, extreme priority. And it's very hard to hear and very hard to live out. That in our lives, the world means nothing to us in comparison to Christ. Philippians 3 verse eight, Paul says, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I wonder this morning whether we can echo the words of the Apostle Paul. When I was reading this, I was like, oh man, what, what a passage to preach. <laughs> because I know in, in my own life, uh, there are still a lot of cares and concerns that the world has, uh, the, the world still has influence over me. I still care and, and worry and am concerned about a lot of things that are temporary and, and don't matter in the light of eternity. 
And when I read this, this was just such a, uh, it was like punch in the face. <laughs> a wake up call and he's just like, look, the world is now crucified to me and I to the world. You know, Martin Luther said this about Paul. He says, Paul and the world could agree together on one thing. They didn't like each other. The world is crucified unto me means that I condemn the world. And I am crucified unto the world means that the world in turn condemns me. You know, this morning, God is challenging you and I through his word. He's asking this same question. Does the world and its cares still have influence over us? Has the world been crucified to us? Are we as believers crucified to the world? Or are we still bound by the trappings and fleeting cares of this temporary life? D.L. Moody uh, has a famous quote that says, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. And I think it's true. The only man to ever do that <laughs> was the God-man, Jesus Christ, fully consecrated to the Lord, fully crucified to the world, not caring what the world thinks and the world's demands on him, but living purely for the Lord. I wonder, church, whether he's calling us this morning to that kind of life, the kind of life that is crucified, totally consecrated to him. You know, for me, uh, for the longest time, this struggle has been uh, ongoing in, in a form of a very uh, trivial thing, uh, but yet significant in my life, which is computer games. <laughs> you know, um, there was one time where, uh, about a year back, I was, I was talking with a couple of friends and um, we were discussing what a consecrated life looks like for us, for us. And in the course of that conversation, I remember bringing up that, you know, I just can't imagine uh, Paul or Peter or the Apostle John spending their spare time <laughs> playing computer games. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just not something I would imagine a disciple of God to be doing with their free time. And so that became my little, um, my little struggle with God. Because in my mind, I knew that if I really wanted to be someone who was consecrated to the Lord, that this was something that he was putting his finger on. He was like, just give it up, just let it go. And then it didn't help because um, Dr. Dan, who I was talking with at the time, he was like, you know, in the light of eternity, what is your computer? You know, it's like, wouldn't you be so glad to say that you gave up your computer in the light of all the things that God could do through you? And I was like, yes, amen, 100%. And then I'd go home and I'd be like, but, oh. you know? But it was, it, was, so it was a very trivial thing, but it was also very significant because it just showed in my heart and in my life that there were things, that there were trappings, that there were things of this world, worldly concerns about even how I spend something as trivial as my leisure time that I was unwilling to consecrate unto the Lord and say, God, this is yours. And so I wonder today, uh, it, for you it may not be games, but perhaps it's progressing in your career or paying off your mortgage Maybe it's getting the dream car or dream house that you've been looking at for a super long time. Perhaps you're waiting to get into a relationship or you're re you, you really wanna, you have this thing where you really wanna impress your friends with you know, the latest gadget you have or the things that you've done or, or your, your latest accolade in life. I wonder whether we can say with Paul that the world has been crucified to us and us to the world. And I, so I, I don't know what it is, but I can guarantee you, <laughs> all of us have got something. <laughs> 
So I would encourage us this morning to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, to you personally. What is that thing that he's putting his finger on and asking you to consecrate to him? You know, the difference between the Judaizers and uh, Paul was that the Judaizers, they wanted to exalt themselves. Really, at the end of the day, with this whole circumcision thing, with this whole trying to get them to follow the old ways, what they were trying to do was exalt themselves, was trying to create in themselves a sense of self-importance. And whilst, in comparison, the Apostle Paul, all he wanted to do was to exalt Christ, to exalt Christ. So let's do a little bit of a comparison here, okay? Between the Judaizers, the ones who wanted to exalt self, and between the Apostle Paul, the ones who wanna exalt Christ. And maybe let's, let's check, do a bit of an internal audit as to where it is that we stand in these things. You see, the people who want to exalt themselves, they take pride in the outward forms of religion. They take pride in the fact that they do things. Maybe in our context, they take pride in the fact that they come to church regularly, that they tithe regularly, that they don't swear, that they don't drink. They take pride in the fact that they do uh, a lot of the outward workings of religion. But someone who wants to exalt Christ is not so concerned about the outward forms of religion. They are worried and they are concerned about inner transformation, becoming who Christ has called them to be, becoming who Christ has made them to be. The self-exalting person is self-reliant. In other words, they, they, they like to boast about their own efforts, the things that they do. When, when it comes to achieving their goals, they are reliant on themselves. This is, this is what I must do. Step one that I will take, step two that I will do. When I have to wake up at this time, I have to go out, I have to do this, I have to tick off this, tick off this, tick off this. The self-exalting person is about to-dos and checklists. They are self-reliant. Whereas the Christ-exalting person relies on Christ and realizes that without Christ, we can do nothing. The self-exalting person cleans up the outside, but leaves the root. This is something that's really, really important because uh, just, because I know many people, I know many people who they clean up the outside. They, uh, they know the right things to say, the right things to do in the right context. But deep inside, deep inside, when you look at their character and their heart, when you look at their posture before God, uh, it's not yet submitted. Uh, it's very insidious, it's very subtle, but on the outside, they look great. But on the inside, there's something that you can sense is a little bit off. Whereas the person who is Christ exalting, exalting has totally died to self and is now becoming a new creation. It's about inward transformation. It's about the inner life being made new. The self-exalting person craves human affirmation and applause. I don't know if that's you, but you know, I relate to that one. They crave the accolades and the affirmation from other people telling you, good job, well done. You know what, Dave, you're such a, you're such a great worship leader. Oh, you just, oh, great sermon today. Good job, Dave. The self-exalting person craves that, whereas the Christ-exalting person craves the knowledge of God. The self-exalting person fears being persecuted, fears being rejected by man, but the Christ-exalting person finds refuge and strength in Jesus Christ and finds Christ Jesus to be their exceedingly great reward, whether or not people like them, whether or not they are persecuted, whether or not they are facing tough times, Christ is their all in all. And so my question to us this morning is this, what motivates the things that we do? Is it self-exaltation or is it Christ-exaltation? And it is very subtle, very subtle. We have to be very careful with these things because even the most spiritual 
and seemingly magnanimous and generous acts can be done for self. Did you know that I could stand up here and I could preach this sermon for myself? Like I could preach this sermon to make me feel good, to, make, to convince myself that, oh, you know, I'm doing a good job, that, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm not so bad a preacher, you know? Like, I, could, I, could, I could preach for myself. You know, you could serve in a ministry for yourself. It doesn't matter how much you give, but if you're doing it for yourself, <laughs> it cancels out everything. You could be the most generous person for yourself. Do you know that? Just so that people will know, I'm the generous guy. Look at Dave, he always buys the free lunch. You know, like. <laughs> but you could be the most generous person for yourself. You could love your family and lead your family for yourself because you want to be known as the good father, the good mother. You can raise up your children for yourself. So even the most spiritual, even the most seemingly loving, other-centered uh, actions can be done for yourself. And so I would encourage us today, perhaps there's a little tweak, a little adjustment that needs to go on in our hearts. The things that we do, why is it that we do what we do? Let's move on, verse 15 says this. It says, neither circumcision nor uh, uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. So you're saying circumcision or being circumcised, being uncircumcised doesn't count for anything before God. Being legalistic, it doesn't, uh, with rules, with regulations, that doesn't count for anything before God. It's not important. What matters is the new creation. Now what is Paul talking about? What is Paul talking about? This new creation. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, a famous verse that a lot of us would know. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 22, he gives a little bit of an elaboration on what that means. He says, you are taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is talking about a new creation. And church, what we need to understand today is that it's not about the outward workings. It's not about being circumcised or uncircumcised. It's not about attending CG or not attending CG. It's not about tithing or not tithing. What matters before God is being a new creation. You see, our old self has died completely. It has been crucified with Christ on the cross. And we are now born again with a new nature. A new nature that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now this is a really, really big statement. And let me just kind of unpack that a little bit. Because what Paul is saying is that our very nature has changed. Your nature, if you're a believer, has changed. Our defaults have flipped, if I can put it that way. You know, before Christ, we loved to sin, we loved to walk in darkness. But now in Christ, our hearts have been changed so that what we love is now righteousness and to walk in the light. We were once slaves to sin. We couldn't escape it. It was part of who we are. It was part of what we do. But we are now slaves to Christ. In the same way that we were once bonded to sin, we are now bonded to Christ. Can anyone say amen? You know, before Christ, we tried to do good things to earn the righteousness of God. But now in Christ, we do good things because we are the righteousness of God. It's flipped. 
Are you getting me? Are you understanding? Our very nature has changed. We have been changed from the inside out. We are a totally new creation. And realizing this is absolutely critical, 100% critical for every believer. To understand that our nature, your nature, has been totally flipped inside out. It means that your default is now righteousness. And to sin is against your nature. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, you know, like whenever they, whenever they fall short, whenever, they, um, whenever they, they mess up, they just say, oh, I'm not Jesus, you know? <laughs> it's like, and and, and you, you, you bring it up, you try to confront lovingly and you say, hey, uh, maybe, maybe you shouldn't say those things. Maybe you shouldn't be so angry about this. Uh, maybe, maybe you should um, uh, surrender that to the Lord and ask him to help you uh, forgive that person. And he'll be like, oh, I'm not Jesus. Oh, I'm not Jesus. Well, guess what? The very nature of being a new creation is that your nature has flipped. And therefore, it is in your nature to forgive. It is in your nature to be righteous, to be holy, to be loving, to be kind. The fruit of the Spirit are now in you. It is in your nature to be gentle. It is actually out of your nature to be unforgiving, to be angry, to be sinful, to be resentful. It is out of your nature to go against everything that God has created you to be in the new creation and to sin. Are you catching what I'm talking about? You know when someone, uh, you, there's, a, there's a phrase that we use a lot, that we throw around, um, someone is not being themselves. You know when someone's, maybe like someone's hungry and then you see them like getting very snappy because they're hangry, of course. And then you say, oh, you know, don't worry. Oh, Amos is a good example of this. Like he is the most, like, oh, he is, he is, he's wise, he's gentle, he's patient. But if his food comes late, whew, he is not himself. He is not himself. But, um, so, so yeah, yeah, sorry, where was I going with this? Uh, <laughs> this phrase, you're not being yourself. When you are a new creation, you are not being yourself when you sin. You are not being yourself when you are unjust, when you are unrighteous. You are being most like your true self, your true nature, when you are walking with God, walking in holiness and righteousness. Church, that should set somebody free this morning because you need to understand that you're not trapped. You are no longer trapped to your sin, to your addiction. You're no longer trapped to your proclivity towards anger and to, towards lashing out. You're no longer trapped towards pushing away the people that love you. Your default nature has flipped. And so this morning, you can take heart because God has created in you. He has made you. The old is gone. The old nature has passed away. Behold, you are a new creation. Can anyone say amen? Amen. And then verse 16, Paul continues. He's ending. I'm ending. <laughs> he says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. In other words, to all who are a new creation, to the Israel of God. Now this would have been totally confronting to the Judaizers, right? Remember, the Judaizers are Jews. They have pride themselves for centuries on being the people of God, on being called the Israel of God, God's special possession, his own people. And here, Paul is saying, peace and mercy to all who are the new creation, to the Israel of God. Here, he's not talking about the Jewish people anymore. He's calling the Israel of God are the people who identify with Christ. 
the people who don't justify themselves by their works, but believers who have been made a new creation according to faith in Jesus Christ. And so, church, right now, you are the Israel of God. You are God's chosen people, his special possession. That should make you feel good. <laughs> that should make you feel good. And then verse 17, from now on, he says, okay, this is, this is where things get a little bit, uh, a little bit heavier, so, so pay attention, right? Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. You know, the word marks in this, uh, in this verse is the Greek word stigma, also translated as brand. So I bear on my body the branding of Jesus. Not something as um, trivial as like the branding of like Nike or logo, but the branding of Jesus. In those days, there were three groups that were literally branded. You know, like metal in a fire, like painful, that kind of brand, right? And that brand was to show allegiance or belonging or possession, you know what I mean? So that you belonged to someone, that you, were, uh, that you had, uh, your allegiance was to somebody. So there were three groups. First of all, soldiers were branded. They were branded to show who was their commander, who was their general, which platoon that they were in, which army that they were in. So they were branded to show that they were part of that. Slaves were also branded. They were branded to show who their master was, which household they belonged to. And then there were religious devotees who branded themselves to show their devotion to their gods. So when Paul said that he bore the marks of Jesus, the brand of Jesus, he was saying that his body was showing the signs of belonging to Christ. What was he talking, what was he talking about? What were these brands? You see, by the time that Paul wrote this letter, he was an older man. And like he says in his, in his uh, own letters, he, he had poured out his life as a drink offering unto the Lord. And he talks about all the things that he went through for the gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, uh, verse 23, he says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison. Uh, this is in comparison to anybody else. He says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. So 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You see, Paul had literally, literally gone through the ringer when it came to living for the Lord. He, his body literally showed the signs of being flogged, stoned, beaten, persecuted, stranded at sea. Uh, you name it, he had gone through it. And he wore those signs as a, say, as a brand of his saying, look, this is, let no one bother me. You can see, I belong to Jesus. John Calvin said this, he says, as even as earthly warfare has its decorations with which they honor generals, the bravery, or with which generals honor the bravery of a soldier, so Christ our leader has his own marks of which he makes good use in decorating and honoring some of his followers. These marks, however, are very different from the others for they have the very nature 
of the cross, and in the sight of the world they are disgraceful. But before God and the angels, they surpass all the honors of the world. Paul had been marked, he had been persecuted, he had gone through hell on earth for the sake of the gospel. But they were his badge of honor in this moment. He knew that God was proud of him when, he, when God looked down on him and saw everything that he had gone through. And when I read this, uh, the question that popped to my mind was, was a really simple one, which is, are we, are we, the church, are we willing to bear the marks of Jesus? You know, we may not be persecuted here in Australia, but what about our life? What about your life shows your total devotion unto the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there any mark upon your life which is a signal, a broadcast to the world around you that you belong to Him? Leonard Ravenhill said this about the church which I thought was extremely challenging and provoking. But he said, the early church was married to poverty, to prisons, and to persecution. Today, the church is married to prosperity, to personality, and to popularity. You know, in the society that we live in, being a Christian, church, our life, can very easily, so easily become all about us, right? How it serves our needs, how it fits our preferences, whether or not church agrees with my theology, with my stance on how leadership should be run. Our lives can become about us. Our families can become about our future plans, our hopes, our dreams. You know, and all these things can be good to think about. But at the end of the day, we must choose. We must choose whether we will be like the Judaizers and exalt ourselves and our desires, or whether we would be like the Apostle Paul and we would choose to exalt Christ, to serve his kingdom, and to wear his mark. If you and I are new creations, then we should live like it, amen? You know, I'm reminded of the passage in Hebrews chapter 12, and with this I'll close. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith. And then it gives an example of this is what, who Jesus is because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're about to end here in a moment, but I believe that the, the call this morning is not to any few believers who are going through particular circumstances, but it is a wake-up call to all of us here. As long as you are a believer, as long as you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, the Word of God is challenging and probing at us today. And He's asking us, are you marked with the marks of Jesus Christ? Are you exalting yourself with your life? Are you trapped by the world and its concerns, the things which don't matter in the light of eternity, the things that are temporary? Or are you consumed with exalting Christ, making Him known, serving His kingdom, bearing His mark, giving Him your all, being crucified to the world and the world being crucified to you? So in a moment, I'm gonna pray. 
and I'm gonna give us a chance to, to respond. But what I would like us to do as we sing uh, in a few moments is I would like us to stand and I would like us to consecrate ourselves once again unto the Lord, to realize that we have fallen far short of, of, of everything that He has called us to be and to make a, a commitment to serve Him with our whole hearts, amen? Come on, would you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word here. We thank You for the book of Galatians and everything that it has been speaking to us. And Lord Jesus, as we close out this book, we are reminded of Your Word. We are reminded of who it is that You have called us to be. We are reminded of the Apostle Paul and all the things that he suffered for Your namesake. And we are challenged and pushed in that direction. We can sense Your Holy Spirit calling us into deeper levels of commitment with you. Not, not, not to religious trappings, not to the church and its rules and its policies, but you are calling us to a deep and abiding commitment to you, Lord. Lord, you are calling us to crucify the old self, to put away the old self, and to put on the new creation that you have created us to be. And so Lord, right now, we just wanna surrender ourselves into your hands. There may be areas in our life which we are struggling with, areas where the new creation has yet to break through, areas where we can't release forgiveness, or there is a stronghold that we can't seem to uh, overcome. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us in this moment to lift those things to you so that you can take them, so that they can be nailed to the cross. And in exchange, we can receive this newness of life that you have promised us. Lord, we are reminded of, of your word in Joshua, where Joshua calls out to the Israelites and he says, you must choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Lord, that is our heart cry this morning. That is our plea. So Lord, call us back to yourself in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, let's sing together.